remember when we were sent the screener for Meeks and we all watched it and fell in love with it immediately? Um, I do because I <laughs> became insufferable to Max, I believe. Um, just, yeah, I mean, okay, look, I'm not going to pretend I'm not weak for <laughs> 1970s Jake Johnson. Just let's just lay it all on the table. Let's just, it's not... It's not something you can resist as a normal person. So, so yeah, I mean, it was funny. It was charming. It was, uh, <laughs> dirty, you know, it's <laughs> like, it's, it was one of the most but fun. dirty in a wholesome ish way. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, there is definitely like a shock element to it, but it was done in such a funny and like self-aware way that it didn't feel it didn't feel that scandalous right agreed um, like you don't want to watch it with your parents and or children yeah but at the same time it doesn't feel yeah you like, don't feel bad watching exactly it. it's, yeah it's like it it definitely yeah it's just it's just very funny um and smart and tries to, I think, subvert a lot of expectations about a show that features like, I don't know, 70 dicks in its <laughs> first episode. Um, but yeah, I do remember getting the initial screeners um, a long, long time ago when it was originally on Max and um, immediately being in love with it. Yes. And I mean, obviously, you were a fan of Jake Johnson beforehand. I do bring that element, yes. <laughs> As does the rest of our team, honestly. I know. I know. But it, it is, it's so fun to see someone that you love having a new project that you also love. And yeah. that yeah. they can bring elements of maybe a character that you're a big fan of from a previous show mm. into it, but then also make it different and their own. Yeah. I mean, I'm always, Jay Johnson is somebody that I'm always rooting for. And I, I think I've seen like all of his weird little backyard indie movies. Um, it was weird, affectionately. <laughs> um, I think he would admit that some of them are weird. Oh, it's I fine. think I think he would take pride in the fact that they're very weird. Yeah, but I have seen all of his indie movies, his Joe Swanberg joints, and um, and so, but I. He to me is is like kind of made for TV. Like he is somebody that you want to come back and watch week after week and just see like what kind of weird oddball <laughs> hijinks he's up to. Yeah. Um and so I was really glad to have him back on a show like this. And obviously Ophelia is beloved as well from Called Midwife mm -hmm. and many other things. So to yeah, the fact that they were leading it. I mean, you can't really lose. Oh yeah. What was the show that Jake Johnson was in? I feel like it was a one season show that we loved. Was, uh with Colby Smolders. Stumptown. Stumptown. Stumptown Hive Rise. Oh my gosh. That show was so good. It was so good. It was so good. It was so good. And it was done so dirty. Yes. Yes. And it was just bisexual Kobe Smolders. Justice for that. Okay. <laughs> we need it back. What that is happening? That was an excellent show. And uh, I mean, that does segue into RIP. Minx has been canceled. <laughs> Wow. You I really know. Just... I just like just, <laughs> I mean, I, this is not breaking news. This is already out and about in the world, but mm -hmm. I feel like we can't talk about the show and not talk about that. There's no more of the show, Yeah, but also that the show is that good. You should still go watch seasons one and two. Yes, they are. Yes. So the brief history of the show premiered on Max was canceled, then was picked up by stars came to the festival 
season two aired and then it was just recently canceled again by stars. So yes, there are two full seasons that are available to you still on stars and they're very funny and you should go watch them because I think, I mean, the cast is incredible and I think they, they're just all really perfect for this show. I think it's, it's, it's a unique story and I think because it walks that line of potentially being like too filthy, <laughs> it takes a very like specific group of people to understand like comedically mm-hmm. where that line is and also to be comfortable with that kind of humor without making you feel like you're watching something scandalous or exploitative or, you know, anything right. like that. Um, that's what I was looking for earlier. Yeah. It doesn't feel exploitative. Yeah. Um, and so I think in, in this particular conversation, it was really fun to hear Ophelia and Jake talk about their different experiences with the, the, I mean, the porn storylines and sort of like Jake talks about, I think his first day walking on set with some of the prosthetics, (laughs) prosthetics, <laughs> you know, that were available. Um, and some of the, the actors that were doing certain shots. And, you know, I think it's, it seems like a very unique filming experience. Yes. But they both have a great sense of humor and, um, I think are both very like emotionally magnetic people in the way that they are funny. Like they're both very good at having that, emotional storyline that still makes you feel very connected even between the jokes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I just, I'm really going to miss this show. I know. I know it is. This is a tough one. There really is not anything else like it. And so it's, it's always a bummer to lose those series where it's like, feel like you've stumbled on something really unique that nobody else is doing slash Willing to do, knows how I to do. I do feel like it's one of those shows that people just don't know about. Yeah. Because I think, and I think obviously there's a lot of these shows out there that are just these really special, when I call them little, it's because they are quieter. They're not these huge, epic yeah, Game of Thrones type shows, that they're smaller, quieter shows, and they're so special and quirky, unique, beautiful, and people just don't understand what they are. And then I think people will stumble onto it and then they will fall in love. Well, and I think unfortunately the timing of the second season fell a little bit victim to the strikes and them not being able to promote. And yep. we wanted to have, you know, the showrunner Ellen really wanted to come to the festival with, with Jake and Ophelia to support the show. And, but she was, couldn't because of the writer's yeah, strike. She was, you know, did not in solidarity. And and we totally understand that and, and respect that. And, and I think it just made it hard um, to, because I know she did a lot of promotion around season one mm-hmm. and sort of explaining how the, the show came about and what her POV was and why, you know, she wanted to tell this particular story right now. And so she was really on the front lines promoting it the first time. And I think not having that, the ability to do that kind of promotion when it's launching in a new place really hinders shows like this. Yeah. Um, that have, have, you know, creatives and casts that are willing to do sort of the footwork to get it out there, but aren't able to yeah. because of the strikes. So, you know, I mean, it wasn't the only show that, unfortunately, I think fell victim to that. So, but I think everybody involved is going to make a lot more TV. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, they'll be back soon. I know. And then hopefully people will go back and go back and watch the show because you can still love a show, even if it was canceled too soon, even if it didn't fully get to complete its story. There's so much to still enjoy in this. And then in five years, we can all, we can have them all back for a reunion. Perfect. Done. <laughs> Planned. Booked. Everyone's agreed. <laughs> all right. Well, here is our Meeks Q&A from season 12. 
featuring Ophelia Levabond and Jake Johnson and moderated by the Hollywood Reporters, Dan Feinberg. Enjoy. South by Southwest returns this March with an all-new lineup of talent waiting to be discovered. Their film and TV festival offers a first look at some of the year's biggest blockbuster hits and original works by first-time filmmakers. For nine days in March, you'll have the chance to see hundreds of exclusive premieres and venues all across Austin. This year's program features provocative dramas, documentaries, comedies, and genre standouts from around the globe. Attendees looking to network will also have the opportunity to connect with a wide array of industry experts in their conference and mentor sessions. The 2024 film and TV lineup is now live, so check out what's in store and learn how to join them for unparalleled discovery and learning at southbysouthwest.com slash attend. That's sxsw.com slash attend. Good afternoon, everybody. Thank you all so much for coming out on day two of season 12. Woohoo. <laughs> I'm Dan Feinberg, Chief Television Critic at The Hollywood Reporter, and it's a pleasure to be here to talk with the stars of Stars' Minx. So uh, we are going to have time for questions, and there will be microphones on the side. Uh, get your questions ready. But for now, let us welcome our stars. She plays Joyce Prigger, Ophelia Lovibond. Whichever, whichever one you want. And he plays everyone's favorite lovable pornographer, Doug, Jake Johnson. All right. So, because it has what ultimately ends up being a happy ending, I want to start with the, and happy ending being only sort of a pun intended in this case, um... <laughs> Apologies. I, I, I want to start with the dark side of this, that you guys are in production, you guys are late in production, and HBO Max does a little sort of thanks, but no thanks. What was the tone on set, and what was the tone on set as you had to keep shooting the rest of the season? Kind of fine. Is that... <laughs> uh, genuinely, it yeah. was... It was actually quite funny because we're like, hey, we're shooting an indie. Yeah. It's just, and, and it didn't it was, matter. It, it was kind of nice because you'd be doing a scene and you'd get a note and you could say, well, for who? <laughs> I'll do it again for literally no one. <laughs> I hope the crew likes it because no one's watching. <laughs> it was kind it was, we, it was a, there was real camaraderie actually, kind of yeah. because we just kind of thought, well, we believe in this and there wasn't a thing of, I mean, without wishing to sound arrogant, there wasn't a feeling of, oh, no, that means this has all been for nothing. We just thought, okay, so we'll, we'll go somewhere else. Yeah. Now, I, I want to go more into this, but before going any further, I want to at least, I want to salute uh, Ellen Rappaport, the series creator, and, and make sure that I also salute Ben Carlin, who wrote this episode you just watched, and all of the writers on the show. Of course, as we say, it starts with the writers. Yeah, agreed. Was there anyone in that strange period who was more or less down about the whole thing? Jess Lowe was down. The woman who plays Bambi was really sad. Uh, she's a really sweet person and not like her character, but a little like her character. And so seeing her sad was the worst part. Uh, she, she kind of, she, she, in the politest way, she's like, what's wrong with you? Why are you not sad? I was like, because it'll be fine. Yeah. She's like, she wanted me to... I think she thought that my kind of irritating optimism was yeah. kind of denial, but it's just because I believed in the show and I just yeah. thought, this, this, we'll be fine. Um, it just generally, we, it banded us all together. Um, it, didn't, it didn't have a yeah. negative effect. Well, I, I think it was tricky because it wasn't based off, like, it's not like we turned in the thing, they watched it, like these like reality shows like The Voice and they voted against it. It's like a big money merger. So it, there was no creativity, it was numbers. And so when we found out about that, we're like, Ellen and I, I we talked to uh, you know, part of our studio and we said, does that mean it's dead? And they said like, no, we might land someplace that's really excited to have us. So from our point of view, it, if, if stars didn't come around and if stars wasn't excited, then it would be really sad because we did it for them, literally just the crew. Um, but the fact that we have a home, the, the truth these days, I feel you know, with all this stuff, 
what, who has a loyalty to a platform? It's like, I'm not trying to, whatever. I'm like, I was asked about it with New Girl leaving Netflix and they said, are you sad that it's going to Hulu? And I'm honestly like, who cares? What are we pretending to have like, I will only watch one platform? I'm like, we all know it's random and it's changing. Everything's gonna be on everything eventually. So as long as it's out there and people can find it, that's the win. And you, of course, had had this experience before with Stumptown. Was, does that sort of inoculate you to some degree or, or uh, not? <laughs> um, the, well, Stumptown was interested because it was a pandemic. Um, and that was sad because it was also a really great group of people. Um, but no. <laughs> so let's get to that. So let's get to the happy moment then. Yes. <laughs> it was it was a month of sort of indecisiveness or lack of consensus, and then stars picked it up. What, who told you? How did they tell you? And what was your reaction? Well, the kind of uncool answer is I had started her hearing early because it. Uh, I was talking to Ellen and I was talking to some people at Lionsgate about what's our situation, and they had heard very early that. Uh, Stars was interested, and there were two other places that were interested. So once I heard that, we were still, it was a couple days after the initial thing, I knew we were gonna land somewhere. So there was the first day when we had to shoot that was really weird, but I think I told you too, I was like, there's three places that are making a run at it. And yeah. once I knew that, I figured. It was, it, yeah, the, the, the first day, it was, it was strange. We just kind of thought, okay, well, just blind faith. And then re really early on, we knew there was enthusiasm. And stars have always been so positive about it. So we just kind of thought, it's not been confirmed, but you knew in the back of your mind that, that they were going to yeah. come to the rescue, as it were. So we just could crack on. The weirdest part was when you found out, because obviously we all love our job and blah, 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 and we're blessed. Blah, 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 it, blah, blah. blah. It's, you still wake up for work. So I did have a thing where I'm like, do I have to set my alarm for 6 a.m.? <laughs> If no one's watching, can we start at noon? <laughs> can we just live in a beautiful two shot? With a, could we, I think you said that one word incorrectly. Can we do it again? I'm like, well, for no one, it felt great in the wide shot. So that was the only, there was about a 12 hour period. I'm like, if this is fantasy world and we are just having fun, I think we nailed it. <laughs> Let's get out of here at five and go to the bar and talk about the great work we did today. <laughs> There was talk of um, wanting to have real um, tequila in that yes. scene you just saw, which we actually shot yeah. at the end of the season. Well, also that last shot of us partying was a reshoot. Yeah. So when Ellen said, we're doing a reshoot, I'm like, for who? <laughs> She's like, oh, shut up. It's going to be somewhere. I'm like, we shot the scene. We don't have a platform. We're reshooting it. <laughs> well, I, I love watching the premiere, though, because it was shot long before any of this, but the yeah. entire premise of the premiere is here are you guys looking for a <laughs> yeah, place to right. call home. Here, you know, That's all, we, all we want is for someone to understand us. Thank you. <laughs> By the way, we have not started press for this and thank you for giving me my answer. <laughs> I wanted to watch it because you make it and then you kind of forget it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's exactly right. Thank you. It is a nice piece of serendipity. It's perfect. So kind of taking a step back on the show, um, I assume Ellen was very inspired by Cheers and by Sam and Diane. And that is sort of the core, to me at least, of the relationship between your characters, especially in the early seasons before it, you know, before they coupled off and, yes, of and you're like, well, yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. destination of it. How do you guys look at the relationship between your characters. I think it's interesting because it's, that's not on the cards. It's, that's not their dynamic. We've, we've, we've seen that dynamic so many times on screen. I think there's more kind of mileage in exploring what is a male-female friendship like if they don't become romantically involved. And I mean, I mean, moreover, they don't really like each other. They, they, they realize that they are helpful to the other, but they it's fundamentally rub each other up the wrong way, not in a fun rub. And so they kind of, <laughs> but they recognize that. It's we, always a fun rub. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing as an unfun rub. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think Joyce, like, I think Doug likes Joyce. I think uh, he doesn't see her romantically. What I like about Doug in the relationship is it's about capitalism. And, uh, and, but, I, but I mean, it's what attracted me to the project. I, I think it's a great show about trying to make money. And what I really like about it is that he just sees Joyce's money. He sees her as like a really great idea and he can make so much money off this kid. And what a wonderful thing. 
And he's blinded by that potential. And so when they disagree, it's fine. Like there's gold so close to us. I know I do think you see it in that episode where Joyce she's she's kind of got the ideas, she's kind of she over-intellectualizes things, but then when she realizes it didn't occur to her to to try and plumb Constance for money, that right. that's where he where she does recognize, yeah, like I can I can I have all these ambitions and she's incredibly you know, um, dedicated, but she doesn't have that gene, and he, he's teaching her how to be more business-minded. So it's, it's, I think that's what she realizes, I am better when he's pointing me in the right direction. But I think the Ellen told us at the beginning it wouldn't be a romance thing, because I think if they were together, it would cheapen the business of it. It would be then about them being in love with each other or flirting or building towards being a couple. I think the big celebration for them is really finding a lot of success and making money. And yet you have to know that some people watch the show and want them to be a couple, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay too, man. (laughs) (laughs) Which to me feels unfair also because Tina's such a good character and the thing she does for Doug is sort of a different thing that helps him. I think so too. Well, also she's such a great actor and that story is really fun. And season two gets really wild with that. I feel like I want to put the audience on the spot and see if anyone wants to admit that they're rooting for these characters to couple up. Doug and Joyce? How about, does anybody, you're not going to get called out, we're not going to put a spotlight on you, but does anybody want them together? Yeah, cool, yeah. I can endorse that. I hear you, Mama, I hear you, Ellen. Ellen Rappaport, our showrunner's here. (laughs) Ellen's a hard no on it. From the very beginning, she's like... She's more than a no. She's like, ew. She hates the idea. (laughs) She hates it. I'm all for it. (laughs) Well, with your characters, with Doug, there's always a possibility that he could go from lovably sleazy to just sleazy. Where do you see that line as being? I think Doug's a rat. Um, (laughs) But I, I, uh, I think it's okay that he's on both sides of that line. So I don't think he needs to be overly lovable. I think there's things he does that's really shady. I think he thinks about money first. Uh, I don't think he thinks about people's feelings. I think he's selfish. Uh, But he's like all great salesmen. He's very charming. Um, I grew up with a lot of my mom's brothers who were Doug, kind of Doug Light. uh, And I just loved him. And even when I'd be getting hustled by one of them, I'd be like, what a wonderful hustle. (laughs) And I like those characters. I like, you know, going to a junk shop and negotiating with somebody. I love car salesmen. I, I love that whole, that whole game. I think it's wonderful. And so Doug's there, and sometimes he, I think, sways a little bit in the dark, but I think it's just fine, personally. Is there a point, though, at which uh, Doug had become too reconstructed, too civilized, and you would just no longer be interested in A hundred percent. I think if Doug went too far into being, like, a good guy who really learned something... The character's dead. Uh, I, I don't think Doug should ever teach a lesson. I don't think the audience should ever learn from him. Um, I don't think there should ever be a moment of like, he really grew in this series. When Ellen and I first start talking about Doug, I'm like, if this is real life, Doug is not gonna make it to 1989. As soon as cocaine gets in front of that man, 15 pounds thinner than dead. <laughs> <laughs> Season six just became really so sad. fun. So fun. Because Joyce will be doing great. <laughs> the rest of the gang will soar. Doug dead. <laughs> and Ophelia, Joyce, on the other side of it, has the chance of becoming a little too potentially priggish. It is right there in her name. Where do you see that line as being? Well, I think she's, I mean, she's as. She's selfish as well. She's selfish in a different way. Like she's she's single-minded and dedicated, but then she's she does she's not socially very aware. So I think her priggishness can come from correcting people's grammar or quoting the correct quote when no one's solicited that information from her. And she's just like, "You're welcome." But it's just, I think she, it, it, pulling it back is that she it, she's she's meaning she means it. She's not a phony. Like she's not quoting to be like the, the smartest person in the room. She's quoting because she just really loves Simone de Beauvoir and wants you to love them too. So it's this that kind of sincerity that's actually quite naive. And I think it's the naivety stops her from being just uh, such a bore. Um, but I do also think it's being around these pe- the d- different people who are not from 
you know, her kind of college background that, that make her realise that she can just, she needs to learn not to love the sound of her own voice so much. And, and is there a level of relaxed that she could get where you would no longer be interested in her? Or are you okay with season five, Joyce discovers cocaine? <laughs> oh, I'm excited about season five now. <laughs> Joyce on cocaine is a wild start to a season. <laughs> She's already quite verbose. Can you imagine her on cocaine? She's just <laughs> never shutting up. <laughs> um, the beginning of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So a lot of people have been asking me. Uh, no, no one's asked her. Um, I think she, I think she can't get too relaxed because that's just not it's just not who she is. You do see that explored in season two. You see her kind of getting a taste for success and and being popular. Like she's never been the popular girl in school, and suddenly she's got this attention because she kind of gains notoriety. And you see her kind of lose her hold on the reins a little bit, and you and it and. You, we explore that in the season. But yeah, similarly, I like that she's quite uptight and finding the kind of tension in, in that she lives, she works in porn, yet she's really uptight. And actors on certain procedurals, medical, legal, talk about sort of the monologues they have to do and figuring out how to make the jargon sound organic. Do you have any, have you had any difficulties or challenges with the feminist theory that occasionally you need to spout out large bursts of? No, I pretty much had that down pat already because <laughs> I'm, you know, a feminist. So you kind of know, you kind of know all of that. No, that I think that was that's something that um, Ellen has spoken about ever since the first audition. Like I had read all the books that Joyce mentions, and I brought my own copies with me to LA. She was just, I mean, it's quite pathetic, but um, you know, they were already highlighted from when I did women's studies at university. So there was that was not a stretch. That bit was not a stretch for me, no. So you didn't have a reading list. Did you have a Doug-based reading list? Was there an assortment? He mocks me constantly. Yeah, his reading list is a lot of pics on the internet. (laughs) I got tons of pics of anything. You can see anything you want, everybody. I don't know if you guys have been on the internet. It's a wild place. (laughs) So I'm pretty proud of myself, actually, that I've made it this far into the panel without mentioning penises even once. Um, Totally. I'm feeling very mature here. So let's... Get into that. Uh, You could sort of get the impression, especially watching season one, that this show's set could be this kind of wild, wild west of unrestrained dongs just everywhere. And I I just saw the headline for the panel. (laughs) It's either that or Doug dies in season five. Which one do you want? That's right. But I assume that it's all a good deal more controlled and a good deal safer than that. What is the set like on the days where nudity is on the call sheet? Well, we always have an intimacy coordinator present, and it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, it sounds absurd, but you, it's very professional. I mean, obviously, you're not kind of all kind of sitting there kind of giggling. It's, and everyone's, it, because you have the intimacy coordinators, everything is checked ahead of time. Every, there's, everyone's made to feel comfortable. There's closed sets when those things happen. So people who are not, net, people who don't need to be there, you have like the, the fundamental crew that have to be there. Everyone else is asked to step out and they're not allowed to step back in once the person's got a robe back on. It's all, it's very carefully orchestrated. It's not just people wandering around naked. That would be quite fun there. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're actually one of the people who needs to be on set for that, what is your responsibility in terms of looking the other way or yeah. not cracking jokes or whatever? It's, it's hard. It's shocking. Uh, when all of a sudden you're in a scene and there's some guy's dick out and you have to just be like, oh, yeah, so you're from Maine? <laughs> Yeah, outside Chicago, I hear Maine's lovely. There's your dick! Uh, But you have a quick back and forth where you know, like, you just can't do it. And what's hard is there's embarrassing moments because the show loves to, like, live in oneers. So a oneer is obviously no edits. So if you screw up, you have to start over. A lot of times if you're doing coverage, you can screw up and it doesn't matter. But there's times where in rehearsal, because of intimacy coordinators, which is obviously a good thing, everybody's covered until they call action. So if you're in a, I was doing a, a one and we were walking from one room into the other room. And when we rehearsed it, there was just a couple of women in robes. Who cares? We start the scene, we walk in, all their clothes are off. And for a second in real time, I became me. 
and could not remember anything I was talking about, walked in and I was like, Tina, here's the... Uh, looked up, she looked at me and went like, they called cut and they were like, go again. I was like, sorry. And I pretended it was like a story thing. I was like, it was just that transition. And Adara goes like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I wouldn't mind seeing that in rehearsal. <laughs> Give me a second to adjust. This is madness. I, I feel like I've gone the other way though. I feel like I've become more like the Joyce's journey because initially, you know, all of the naked people around you would... You know, there'd be a moment where you would take a beat and have to concentrate and, like, you know, do the whole thing. And now, I mean, there, there's, there were loads of contact sheets, just, like, hundreds and hundreds of pictures of naked people. And we were kind of, you know, you'd, you'd be doing a scene and notice them and continue. Now, we'd be like, oh, my God, look at her hair. She's so pretty. <laughs> and it's like, oh, she could model. She's so beautiful. And yeah, you just kind of continue and kind of think it's become so quotidian that like you, don't, you don't notice it very much anymore. There was one time when we were, we were doing a one and again, yeah, everyone had robes on, and then we came around, and it, but then we did, but then she did take her clothes off for the for the rehearsal, but kept her mask on, so she just like <laughs> full bush, but mask. I was like, this is new. <laughs> that is shocking. Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> I have found myself. The uh, set design, they do such a great job. So, like, the desks have the proper paperwork. So everything looks 70s and feels 70s. And, you know, when you're playing make-believe for a living, it helps. So seeing it all, when you sit in there, it helps. But I have noticed there are times in a scene where I'm not even on camera. It'll be, like, <laughs> her coverage, and I'm just looking through photos of dicks. And no thoughts anymore. <laughs> and that has been a... Like, I'll be thinking about it looking back and being like... I looked at 40 dicks and I didn't even have a thought. <laughs> have you guys had to brace older or more conservative friends, loved ones, family about what to expect in certain episodes or what to expect from the show in general? Yeah. Uh, I've, I honestly, and this is going to make me seem more like a weirdo than I hope I am, but I kind of forgot about the dicks element of our show especially the first season, because to me it's such a workplace comedy and it's a show about these people starting a magazine and I love the idea of a small business. I love it growing. And when we get into it, we don't ever talk about the dicks. So we're talking about the scenes or the characters or how the tone, we're always like discussing tone. So by the end of it, I felt like that first season, we're like, we kind of found what this thing is. And when I was doing press for it and we were selling it and talking about it, that's what we were thinking. Yeah. And then the all the press came out, and it was just like, dicks, 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 dicks. And I was like, right, it's a show about with a ton of dicks. I do, you, you do. You forget about you it. You do forget, because, you, yeah, you're thinking about how to make the scene work, and then loads of the press, they would, usually the first question would be about that, and I kind of think, maybe it's because I'm European, but I just, like, it's a penis. It's fine. Right. I didn't think it's about it. It's a lot of penises. It's a lot of penises. Yeah. 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 Um, if people have questions, move in the direction of the mics. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit about the ensemble um, yeah. because, as you mentioned, it is a workplace comedy, and you've got a lot of scene stealers around you. I have to imagine in the first season that there are some things that Lennon Parnon in specific yeah. did that it would have been very hard to keep a straight face around. Who got? Who makes you guys crack up the most of that supporting cast? I mean, Jess Lowe is just, it's like she should have her own show. It's just, she just, she improvises so much and it, it's so distracting because she's just, you, she's just entertaining you. She's brilliant. Everybody's a killer, you know. It's a really great deep cast, but Lennon, the first season, it was very clear they're going to find a way to get her more involved because when somebody's coming in and they're just doing that, they're doing such strong work, They've got to be folded into the show. And I'm really glad they did. She's excellent. Oh, and, and like the first season, she starts off and like kind of every line she has is a killer punchline, yes. but it's not necessarily a character. And then it's sort of, yeah. somewhere at halfway point in the season, it suddenly becomes, oh, okay, she's... The connection when they put her with Bambi, I thought was really fun. That was a really neat turn. Okay, let's see. Do we have... There we are. I think that guy's with us. Oh, no, oh, no, no. I'm so sorry. I didn't okay. see you. I was like... <laughs> I was like, I got to tell you, he's not asking a question. <laughs> down, in, down in the corner there. Um, so we kind of start to see how Joyce learns a little bit from your character. Um, what do you start to learn from Joyce's character? That's a good question. Uh, Doug learns season one that she has kind of integrity and she has art to this. 
And that's not something that Doug has ever valued. His big hits, I think, are like feet, 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 you know? And I think we mentioned in season two, like he's got a couple of winners, and, but he's never thought about like caring about the material. And so I think he's learned from her that there is more than just making money. There is an art to it. Anyone else? I certainly have more questions. So the costumes, you talk to people who do period shows like this where the costumes are as, we'll just say dated, it's, it seems appropriate. And the, the reactions are either, I learned I really liked this because it's, it's more comfortable or because I love a big collar or whatever, or if I ever see one of those again, I'll, I'll go crazy. How, how are you guys feeling about the fashions these days? And I love it. I, it's, I'm... I love kind of vintage clothes, 60s and 70s clothes anyway. So um, sometimes when we were kind of thinking of things that she could wear, I'd say, oh, what about that? Um, and I would name a certain designer, that Balenciaga 68 that they wore with the bow and da-da-da, and we'd Google it and find it and we'd make something that looked like it. Or, you know, there were loads of, um, oh, what's her name? Charlotte Rampling suits, those kind of, that you see it later in the season where she's wearing this white suit was taken from this picture I have of Charlotte Rampling on my Pinterest. <laughs> Because um, I love her. Um, I've just let's copy that suit. So I, it is. It does become like a character, and you'll see little shifts throughout the season of them getting more money or more confidence, and their and their clothes kind of reflecting that. So I I love all of that stuff. Jake, which seventies uh, fashion icons do you have on your Pinterest? <laughs> Same ones. <laughs> <laughs> what have you learned though about the polyester suits and the the butterfly collars and all of that? Uh, they're tight. They're not, uh, they don't breathe. Um, they're not as comfortable as clothes we wear now. Um, but that's about it. I don't think you, a lot about the clothes. You grew to love the leather pants. I did? You, you did, yeah. <laughs> he'd be, or like he'd, he'd walk in, there was what, those massive great big heels that you just, yes. that just very quickly became really comfortable and you just catch them kind of yeah. checking them out. I was shocked that the heels weren't bad. Yeah. I liked the extra size and I think if men went down a road of heels... It would stick. Yeah. <laughs> Very quickly, I thought, like, these are a drag. I'm not doing them. I'm like, I'm walking around at six feet tall. Make me six two. <laughs> How do my legs look in shorts? Make me six four. <laughs> One of the things I, that I like about the show is that sometimes each of you guys get to play the straight man, straight woman role, and sometimes you get to be kind of wildly funny. How instantly when you look at a script are you aware of, okay, this is a comic beat for me and I, I get to go, I get to go and chew some scenery in this versus, okay, this is someone else's funny scene. Between the two of us? Or both of you, because yeah, yeah. their Joyce is yes. often extremely broad and funny and sometimes she's not trying to be funny I mean, at all. <laughs> I mean, I find often it's when Jake and I are together and then we start just doing the scene, we find that rhythm. That's not always... No, I mean, the writing is so brilliant that it's so it's all of it's there but then when we get it up on its feet we can wrangle different um we can play it so, so that someone is getting more of that or less and then try another take where it's the other way around there's also these situations like in season one when uh, uh billy brunson comes in and nick i mean uh sorry <laughs> i was thinking sitcoms for a second <laughs> when you're talking about like comedy bits because when you do a straight sitcom it's way cleaner you'll know like, oh, all the jokes are, you know, Schmitz. So just set them up. Uh, if all the jokes are this person's, you're like, oh, this is a, this is a Nick run or this. Is, our show is a little bit different because there's, it's all story-based. So a lot of the comedy comes in like with the Billy Brunson, uh, my character's doing a photo shoot of him and he really wants a hard on uh, but I can't print that. But I have to like show respect to this guy. So the game of that is we're just playing what the scene's about and we're really hoping the comedy's from the audience uh, on the outside watching rather than us generating it from within. On a sitcom, you can have a very soft premise and say like the premise of this is she doesn't like that I'm wearing black socks. And in that scene, we can create a three minute scene where we get laughs. Minx is all story, all character-driven. So if you're getting laughs, it's got to be about the kind of situation, the premise. Was that a thing that, that New Girl made you feel like you wanted to seek out in subsequent projects? Sort of the not, the more traditional, it's his scene, it's his punchline, no, et cetera. I, I loved doing that show. Um, uh, for me, I, I don't have a long-term strategy when I'm doing it. So this was, Ellen, I got the script for the pilot of Minx, and I thought it was excellent. 
I thought the Joyce character was great. My big thing was you have to cast the right person, and we did. Because Joyce, if Joyce went too far annoying, then you're not in. You have to care about her. You have to want her to win. And so I, I loved the whole world. I had talked to Ellen from the beginning, and I had asked, like, are you trying to do a Doug Tina thing here? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, ooh, that could be really nice. And so all the pieces kind of felt there. But, you know, sitcoms are a blast if you get really funny people. And these are, like, we have the same thing on Minx. It's so fun because we have a good group. So even going to the first question when HBO Max was out, we made a lot of jokes, but the making of it is, for us, that's the game of it. So it's still really fun to make it when you're in a scene with somebody you respect and you're really trying. That's when it gets really fun to do. Well, Ophelia, when you were auditioning, was the fact that you had read all these books, did you sort of in the back of your mind go, okay, this is, this is mine, I, I know this woman? Or, or did you not have that confidence? I, I mean, I don't think I've ever thought of this as mine because, I mean, I've been doing this too long to be so foolish. But I, do, I did read it and it was unlike anything I'd read. It was, the writing was so strong that Joyce, I mean, it's such a cliche, but the, it leapt off the page. She was such a distinctive character that I, I certainly understood exactly who she was and I knew instinctively how to play it and I thought, I've met this person She's kind of an amalgamation of different people I went to, to university with. And, and, yeah, parts of myself. I mean, I hope I'm a, a little more socially gracious than she is. But um, I certainly went into audition not thinking it's mine, but, but knowing I know how to do this, and I really hope you trust me to, to do it. Um, so then when I went back for the recall, and Ellen, Ellen she, just, she, just, she was just being so coy. She, she just said, yeah, that's, that's really funny. It's really funny. And she just completely just wasn't laughing at all. And I was just like, is, is it? Because you're not, you're not, you look like you're really angry with me. But, so it wasn't, I, sh I had no idea that whether I had got it or not. Um, in fact, I didn't find out. That was March. I didn't find out till November. Um, but it was worth the wait. <laughs> I believe I saw Ooh, several, yes. two people behind me. So first of all, Dan, you're my favorite moderator ever. <laughs> yes. So question for both of you, because obviously a set like this has to just lend itself to joking with each other off camera. Have, has anybody done any like epic pranks? It can involve parts. Parks? Oh, parts, like dicks. Oh. <laughs> I thought you said parks. I'm like, that's a really specific question. I'm sorry, do you have any pranks that have anything to do with parks? Hopefully with a pond. Go ahead. Uh, no, you, so I have, uh, so we do joke around a lot. There's a lot of really like funny people. Everybody kind of lives in a bit world on our group. You know, our show is not overly serious, so we're kind of allowed to live in that space. But I did have the intimacy coordinator say to me season one, you've got to stop making jokes when there's naked people around. Uh, but she was right because we were doing jokes not about them being naked. And I just wasn't sensitive enough to the idea that like, they're probably insecure because they're naked. We went like, well, there's your dick. And then we're back to doing this and didn't think again that if we're now all laughing, yeah. they probably think it's about them. So you're like, eh, and like, that's what, what I really respect the intimacy coordinator. I'm like, oh, this person could have had a whole narrative of how we treated them that was not accurate. We were not laughing at them. So ours gets really bitty and really jokey and kind of goofing with each other. But then there's like uh, half the time when there's naked people, we try to tighten it up as much as but we can. But there's, I mean, there's not so much pranks, but there's, you know, Jess always does, she does this weird kind of Southern accent dance thing where she narrates as she dances. And then she and Oscar kind of do kind of, they make do so many TikToks. You'll kind of be walking, They're constantly doing or, dancing, always dancing, yeah. or kind of you. You'll see them doing those weird movements, and you think, and it'll be you'll catch them kind of between a backdrop and the wall of a studio, and you'll just see them down, kind of down there doing a TikTok, and you'll see it appear later on. Or, or she, but and I don't know. There's always just loads of silly characters yeah. and things like that, but not necessarily prank. Got another there. I have actually two more questions. Great. <laughs> um, did you guys take anything from set? I that did, like yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I try to take uh, one thing from every job, and I have like a little shelf at home of like this stuff, and I took Doug's necklace. 
He's got like this great gaudy fake necklace with like some like terrible medallion. So I took that. I took I took a lot of clothes. <laughs> I mean a lot a lot of them quite a lot. I had to buy another suitcase to go home. Is that true? It's true. <laughs> and you had to go to Target. I was like, your largest suitcase, please. <laughs> so you just have a full '70s outfit at all? Yeah, it's great. Amazing. Great. If they asked me, wardrobe said, do you want to take home any of these pants? And I'm like, for fucking what? <laughs> They're like, those suits look great. Like, yeah, I'll look like a total clown at a bar. What am I going to go to a wedding and be dressed like it's 1972? <laughs> just no comment. Just like, hey, hey, congratulations to Adam and Sarah. <laughs> no. It's a period piece. It's odd for madness that you have a 70s... You have a part of your closet that's all 70s clothes? Mainly 70s anyway. Yeah. It's okay. fine. I think, the, I think the whole point, though, of the Pinterest thing is that probably 70s fashion for women is closer to being more acceptable today than 70s. Yeah. I could be totally wrong. That's interesting. Imagine if I was full 70s. How weird that would be visually. Very. Like, is he wearing bell-bottoms and heels? <laughs> you wouldn't be the weirdest It wouldn't person. be the weirdest. You're right. You're right. And then uh, my last question was, what is your favorite, or what was your favorite part of filming this season? If you can remember. Favorite part, you said? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> my favorite park was a lot of them. <laughs> Thanks for the assist. <laughs> my man. The writers are gone, but we still got help. <laughs> um... You know, there's a whole story with Doug and Tina on this one where uh, Tina gets a lot of shine this season. And uh, I don't want to give anything away, but she has, like, a change and, like, a lot happens there. And there's the peak of that was very interesting to film. Uh, you know, fun isn't the right word, but it felt like it was really good writing and it was really nice. And she's, she kills it this year, so that was probably my favorite. It was, I, I mean, honestly, all of it is so much fun but I loved working with Elizabeth Perkins she was just played the most ridiculous grand dame and made it totally believable you'd been scenes with her and her hair was so large and <laughs> flammable and you'd just be transfixed by what she's doing so that was a real treat working with her yeah. looked like there was at least one other there Hi. Um, it's so only the people behind me who have questions, so I'm not completely sure. Uh, so before I ask my question, my daughter wants me to let you know that she has watched New Girl 37 times since the beginning of the year. Amazing. Um, and she does care that Hulu, it went to Hulu because Hulu doesn't stream as streamly or whatever as Netflix. So what? just FYI. I need you to ask her, what does that mean? <laughs> All I it know doesn't is stream as streamy. That's the internet. <laughs> Uh, all I hear is, God damn it, stop asking if I'm still watching. <laughs> oh, that's what you mean. It yeah. stops too much. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm sitting here for nine hours, Hulu. Stop judging me. <laughs> all right, so then Hulu, stop judging people. They don't like it. Um, that is an accurate picture of my household. Um, the scene where the two of you are walking into the dog show is like quintessential 70s cop duo movie shot. What media, did you guys ever go back and like reference any 70s media? Did you guys study? Like, what did you find in that discovery from the era? Well, that was, Max Winkler directed this episode and he's a, a great director. He did a bunch of New Girl. He did like the cooler episode where Nick and Jess first kiss. He was like a, he was like a, almost a, he, I think he must have done 15 in the first couple years with us. Uh, and he's uh, just a major talent. So he came into that, and those were shots he really thought of. So that would be more him and the directors and Ellen, obviously. Uh, that'd be my answer to that, you yeah. know? Yeah, I do remember that. He, the choreography of when we're coming in and then you see the guy hand dug the dog and he's talking about the kibble and everything, and that, that was all really... We, the the steady cam up as well, Nick. We had to. He kind of was. A, he used to be a dancer, and you can tell in shots like that because you have to kind of. You can't see, but as he was, as the camera's spinning around, I had to duck and step out the way, and then step back onto my spot like we just been walking along. So you you, you choreograph it all really carefully, and you you match your footwork and stuff with the camera up. So it's and and yeah, Max had kind of thought ahead of all of that and had us run it over and over again so that it was really smooth. 
And it's satisfying to see it on screen because you think, oh, I, I can see what he was doing. And it does, it does look like those but kind it of does shows. not feel as cool as it looks. When she's no. talking about going underneath, you're honestly doing like the cool 70s walk and then you have to be like, <laughs> and then there's a PA being like, down, down. And you're like, and up. You're like, <laughs> so those are always, they look good. And when you watch, you're like, ooh, the magic trick worked. <laughs> And, and just as a last question, Ophelia, I watched a, a BAFTA interview you did, and you were asked um, what you would change about the industry. And I don't know how well you remember this. Oh, God. <laughs> but what you said was, what you change, women usually have to be a little bit naked to do well, whereas men don't. So what you change was the men get naked and the women stay dressed. <laughs> I wouldn't have read it if it was a bad thing you said. Manifesting, manifesting. <laughs> know when she said that I, there was no date that i could yeah. find but does this feel close to that it's not yeah. there i mean it, yeah it's, it's just i mean i think it going going back to one of the previous questions how much attention was given to the kind of the male nudity my answer would often be the fact that it's so remarkable shows how how uncommon it is and i and there is no reason why i mean it, it's so i think this isn't a case of like, right, let's just take men's clothes off then and then that'll all be fair. But it's, it is, it's interesting that it's provoked so much conversation and, that it, and it, it kind of exposes the kind of massive imbalance in that. So, yeah, I think this is a step in the right direction. Yeah, we're, we're a public service. Season three panel, I promise. No questions about dicks at all. <laughs> so, season two of Minx premieres on Friday, July 21st on Stars. And thank you so much, Ophelia and Thank Jay. you, everybody. And thank everyone for coming out. South by Southwest returns this March with an all-new lineup of talent waiting to be discovered. Their film and TV festival offers a first look at some of the year's biggest blockbuster hits and original works by first-time filmmakers. For nine days in March, you'll have the chance to see hundreds of exclusive premieres and venues all across Austin. This year's program features provocative dramas, documentaries, comedies, and genre standouts from around the globe. Attendees looking to network will also have the opportunity to connect with a wide array of industry experts in their conference and mentor sessions. The 2024 film and TV lineup is now live, so check out what's in store and learn how to join them for unparalleled discovery and learning at southbysouthwest.com slash attend. That's sxsw.com slash attend. You have been listening to the TV Campfire podcast, hosted by ATX TV co-founders Emily Gibson and Caitlin McFarland and produced by Jennifer Morgan. This conversation was recorded live at ATX TV Festival Season 12 in Austin, Texas between June 1st and 4th, 2023. For more information on the festival and becoming an ATX TV member, follow us at ATX Festival or visit atxfestival.com.